welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is chris roberts from sterling rhino capital llc welcome chris hey raman thank you so much for having me i'm looking forward to sharing some stories with your audience Cool and thanks for being on the show. A little bit about Chris. Chris founder and CEO of Sterling Rhino Capital LLC. Chris Roberts has been a full-time entrepreneur and investor since 2007. He owns and operates a multi-million dollar sales and marketing company. He also owns a property management business that controls many of his own rentals. Chris holds investments or shares in over 2137 units across the country. Chris and the Sterling Rhino team recently closed on a One twelve unit value add property in Georgia and one at four unit property in Virginia. With that, Chris, would you like to add anything to your background? You know, Ram, I would just say that uh, my extensive background is was built in business, um, sales and marketing, software, and just sort of the ground and pound retail stuff. And then, uh, and then started launching into single families, a little bit of land construction, and then eventually scaled to the multifamily space. Cool. And how did you get into real estate and multifamily, Chris? The multifamily specifically was really just an epiphany about scaling. I was educating myself after uh, getting into, like I say, the single family fix and flip, rentals, land, and some other things, and and just realized that I only had so much time on my hands, so many resources uh, that I could put into that before I would actually reach my freedom number or you know the the type of uh, place I wanted to be in life, which would be freedom from corporate America, let's say. And so, in order to to get there and scale properly i had to i had to grow the only way to grow is to get into the larger multifamily assets so i was listening to a couple of podcasts on bigger pockets and came across uh, michael blanc and heard him and he kind of inspired me a little bit to start digging in more and and uh, the rest is history cool and thanks for sharing that so would you share any challenges you faced early stages of your real estate journey Yeah, the challenges was figuring out how one to dip your toe into this space because it's a very complicated world, you know, diving into, you know, 5, 10, 15 million dollar multifamily assets specifically when you're purchasing them from across the country. So I think the challenge for me even though I've been an entrepreneur and business owner was to just wrap my head around uh, doing business across the country and managing it correctly. And so the, how I was able to do that was to build the right team around me and utilize the skills of those who complemented some of the weaknesses perhaps that I had. although i i could do it on my own i'm sure i'm a grinder it would not have been as fun and would have taken me a lot longer which is why you know i i highly encourage folks to join mentor programs build teams and use others to help you build uh, your dreams so they can grow their dreams with you as well cool cool and recently closed multiple multifamily property shall we go deep into them sure so how did you find them and what are the market fundamentals for the particular 112 unit georgia chris Yeah, we initially when we started buying properties, especially during COVID because it seemed like the the market dried up a little bit, lending tightened, the reserves were were increased, and it just became a little more challenging to to find decent properties. So we were searching all over the southeast and and east coast and came across a property in Virginia that we picked up and closed in March, and then the more challenging one was the September property, and we put a group of about 5 people together to close that deal, heavy value add. It was an original owner operator 
12 doors. And I eventually ended up dealing directly with the sellers and negotiating down um, to where we could get to a, um, a win-win, if you will, for both of us. And then uh, when we took over, you know, there were some challenges as well, be it, you know, being a 35-year-old property with an original owner-operator, uh, no digital records, all manual, quite challenging, especially during COVID with travel restrictions and, and everything else. So, Cool, cool. And so what is your business plan for that deal, Chris? Yeah, the plan for that property, what was unique about that property is when we went in, we, we had lots of options and we've been we've ex, we've been executing the business plan. But our initial thought was, okay, let's raise enough money to knock out, let's say, three different options. One would be a, a kind of cosmetic, raise the rent slightly and kind of feel it out and see how it goes. And if we need to, we can redeploy the capital back to the investors, um, giving them returns, uh, maybe not as high as we wanted, but we would have preserved that capital. And the reason for that is because the rents were extremely low compared to market. They were around the 550 range uh, where market was around 785. And that was within a one mile radius. If you went out five miles, the average rents went up to about 950. So we thought, you know, we could take over this property and go in and do some cosmetic renovations perhaps, and, and obviously deferred maintenance we'd have to address. And then, you know, raise the rent slightly and make a nice profit for everyone. Or we could go in and rent about half the units and do some exteriors, or we could fully renovate maybe half the units, do less exteriors and raise the rents, you know, even higher. So we were going to let the market and the tenant base sort of dictate how we executed the plan. But what we found since we've taken over the property is we have been able to actually raise the rents um, at least $100 on, I think so far, almost 60 of the doors without any renovations, which is a substantial rent increase. And then we've uh, renovated, I think, six units. And those have come online at $750, so $200 more per door. And then we also added an apartment above the office that was really a dormant kind of rundown space. And uh, we put that on the market at $760. So that was additional revenue, actually, that was not coming in on the original documents or, or income statements. So we've actually started to execute all three of our plans, if you will, and they're all working. Um, it's just eventually you get to a point where you've spent your capital. Thankfully, because of COVID, we put a substantial amount of reserves in play, not just lender reserves, but startup capital reserves, maintenance reserves, and even a, an additional CapEx budget that we increased right at the end there. So we're, we're in very good shape and we're executing the plan fine. We're actually exceeding Performa, which has been really exciting because there's been a lot of additional challenges. Cool. And how much reserves you put outside? When we started, we raised about 650000 We had, I don't know, approximately two hundred and fifty to 300000 earmarked for exterior, about 300000 or so for interior, maybe 50000 or so for deferred maintenance. Um, but what we found is as we started to execute the plan through our negotiations, we were coming in way under what we had estimated, which is nice. So I'll give you one example. Roofs. We had talked to the previous owner about roofs and he had someone that was doing them for, let's say, $5,800. And we thought that was very low. And then we were getting quotes anyway were from 7,500 to 9,000 a door. We knew we had to replace at least 16 of the 29 roofs. But once we got in and started negotiating with contractors, we were able to get the roofs down to $5,200. So we ended up saving about $30,000 off our initial budget on roofs. And so as we we started to grind through this process, even with price increases on supplies and such, we uh, we found that we were still coming in under budget. Um, the one surprise that we did find is that some materials, specifically labor for contractors, really went through the roof when COVID hit. It was very hard to find good contractors that would stay on point and, and particularly maintenance people. So be aware of that if you're buying a property, especially in, in 2021 with us just coming out of these challenges that uh, labor is is an issue and supplies are going are gonna to get a little scarce as well. Cool. And thank you. And which city in the Georgia, Chris? At Savannah, Georgia. 
Okay. And you told like there is some challenges during COVID period, right? So would you share more about that? Yeah, absolutely. The So the first challenge was debt service because all the bridge lenders kind of stepped back and some even just dried up altogether. Uh, matter of fact, we closed the deal right as this COVID crisis started happening. And we were signing, basically sitting in the closing room, if you will. And uh, my partner got a call from the broker and said that uh, like 10 lenders had just pulled out and that we got lucky because some people actually were told by their lenders that they weren't going to get their debt. And that's scary because a lot of work goes into these deals way ahead of time and you have no control over that. And uh, scrambling at the last minute can be extremely difficult. So we were fortunate. We closed that, but we knew going in what the challenges were going to be on the next deal, which was great. And while a lot of people pulled back, we actually went head first and said, you know, we're just going to do our due diligence. We're going to plan. We're going to shop, 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 and just negotiate like crazy and continue doing deals. We're not going to step back because we feel like there's more opportunity because most people were stepping back. And so one of the challenges was just debt service and making sure the numbers worked because the lenders required sometimes up to 12 months, you know, principal and interest, 12 months taxes, 12 months insurance, just in reserves to close your deal. And, and you didn't, you, let's say that 12 months of principal and interest on a deal could be $150,000, $250,000 additional raise that you need. And that can start to change your returns significantly. So that was one challenge. The other challenge was just travel restrictions. You know, some partners couldn't fly in because they'd have to be quarantined if they flew in and, and came back home. And, you know, in this space, I'm fortunate to have two full-time partners that are full-time with me in the multifamily space. I am not, but they, one of them was fine to travel, but the other just due to family and, and other things could not travel because of restrictions. So those were constraints, you know, just getting around and then obviously trying to go in and do your due diligence on 112 units while people have COVID and there's, you know, certain rules and restrictions with masks and things of that sort was, uh, was very interesting. So those are just a couple of the things that uh, caused us a lot of extra work. Yeah. And thanks for sharing that, please. Sure. So uh, this one is like one R6B offering or one R6C? It's a B, yeah, non-accredited and accredited. Okay. And so what kind of returns are you offered for your investors? Yeah, every deal is slightly different. We have a, a marker we try to hit. We try to hit between the six and eight pref. We try to hit north of 15% annual and north of 14% IRR. Equity multiple, we're always trying to stay above the 1.8, try to get closer to the two, but every deal is slightly different. So that's our marker. On this deal, actually, and this is not the norm, so full disclosure, I'm not a CPA or real estate attorney. You always want to consult them with any types of returns or benefits and make sure that you uh, you vet how it's going to affect you. But as it relates to this particular deal, our returns, projected were actually higher than that. And we're actually exceeding that so far. So the reason for that is one, it was a heavy value add play. The two, the rents were extremely low because it was the original owner operator and they would have rather kept people in the, in the units versus, you know, raise the rents and potentially deal with any vacancies because they were living off the cash flow. And you might say, well, gosh, if they just raised the rents a little bit, it would be fine. But for them, they didn't want to deal with the hassle of even turning units. And so that was a huge benefit to us. And we saw that going in. And then you add the value you add component to it. And that just uh, exponentially pushes up the income, right? Which obviously pushes the value up. So I'll give you one example. So far, it's been, I think, four and a half months since we closed that deal. Just in additional income, the rent, uh, the unit we added, pet fees, a garbage fee we implemented, in addition to just the non-renovated units, we have pushed the appreciation or forced the appreciation up uh, just over 1.4 million in about four and a half months. And we have just begun to execute our plan. So pretty exciting when you find those off-market deals that are um, owner-operator and there's that much opportunity there. Cool. And thanks for that. So how long it took to raise capital? Did you face any challenges during COVID? 
No challenges really during COVID raising capital. And I think perhaps it was because of the size of the deal. The deal we closed before this one was a $10 million deal. It was about a $3.2 million raise. This one was uh, uh, was originally $5.2 million. We closed it at uh, $3.875 million. So the raise was only you know, around $2 million. And that wasn't that difficult to raise. I think we did it in like three weeks during COVID. And a lot of that was because of constraints with folks transitioning over their IRAs to self-directed or, you know, just uh, bank issues or, or or you name it. But it really wasn't an issue. We, we were never fearful of it. And the GP team had reserves of their own. We always invest in our own deals. So we had, we had actually plenty of capital if there was a challenge, but we had no problem. We actually turned away, I want to say around four to five people at the very end that kind of just came in at the last minute and wanted to get in on something because there wasn't as many deals during COVID out there. And, uh, and we, we get them on the next one. So cool, cool. And one question like, did you perform any sensitivity analysis on this deal? Yes, we, so, and I, I highly encourage anyone that's getting into the space to not get these wide eyes and just go buy a property because you want to bring in some cash flow or, you know, you got a couple of investors or, or whatever. You really, really have to follow the numbers and understand that no matter how much work you put in and energy and enthusiasm and all that, it's not going to offset a mistake in your numbers. So I encourage everyone to go in there and, and stress test the deal by figuring out at, at the very least, how can we pay our bills? How much vacancy can this building handle to pay our bills? and not pay, say, investors or general partnerships any profits. So for example, on this deal, we ended up being somewhere between a 33 and 35% vacancy that we could take and still pay all of the bills, the debt, service, and everything else. Then we also underwrote uh, at first at about a 10% vacancy, but when we took over, and that was for the first three years, when we took over, it was at a 90, I think it was a 99.5% occupancy. So there was almost no vacancy. So we dropped that vacancy down to about a six, but we knew we had lots of results reserves. And we knew the stress test was just fine on the property with all the other levers we pulled. So we were able to pull that down. And as I said, the returns went way above what our normal projections would be. As a matter of fact, so much that we pulled back when we actually did our presentation to the investor base, because we didn't want to alarm them thinking, well, this can't be right. These numbers are too high. So we actually pulled it back. Now, again, full disclosure, that doesn't normally happen. We just got really fortunate on this deal. And as long as we could execute the business plan, we would have good returns for everyone. Cool, cool. So would you share any best experiences or any outside box ideas you have implemented on this deal or any of your apartment deals? Yeah, a couple of things. One is, you know, don't be afraid to throw things in your contract uh, to protect you and your team. One of the unique things we did is we put a clause in there and it was sort of stimulated by the whole COVID challenge that we had. I was concerned, especially with an owner operator and value add play that they might at the end get a little lackadaisical. So I put a clause in the purchase and sale agreement that stated if there were a certain amount of, if there were any units above a certain number that were either vacant or not paying rent as of the 15th of the month prior to closing, closing, so the month before closing, that we would get a certain amount of money per door for that. And we actually ended up getting about a $25,000 credit as a result of that. And the owner tried to fight it and he had his attorney get involved, but it was ironclad. We even gave them two examples of what that would look like. And so that got us and our investors an additional $25,000 off the purchase price at close and just protected us a little bit more. And, and basically what that equaled on this property was about 45 rents. Now that's not how many were late or were vacant, but because of the number that I put in there, which was was around 3,500 a door. It netted us a nice little chunk of change at the very end. So first thing I would say is make sure that you 
protect yourself and your investors in every way possible and, and get creative if you have to. And then also, I really, really leaned on my team. I picked up a lot of the heavy lift on this deal early on, but my team really stepped in and helped a lot with the data analytics on this property because it was, it was mostly manual. There was no digital records. So there was an awful lot of manual record keeping and tracking as we put everything in line for the lenders when we were trying to close. And we ended up getting a Freddie Mac deal, our debt service on this deal. And that's pretty amazing considering all the records were manual and had to be manually calculated. Cool. And thanks for sharing. So would you share any challenges or worst experiences, any of your apartment deals? Yeah, particularly I've been fortunate just through a tremendous amount of due diligence and time and, and putting the right team in place to not have anything that really, really has shocked us yet on in, in any real estate transactions we've done, be it land, single family, duplexes, multifamily. I would say a, a couple of things. One, when you're dealing with a an owner seller, you have to be very mindful that you're not dealing with a broker and someone who is a is a middleman or a liaison for your communication. Sometimes emotions can increase and owners are not always going to tell you what you want to hear and they're not always going to be truthful. And so you have to really, really vet the information and verify it when you're dealing with these guys. There was a couple instances on the property that we found after the fact that he basically just had, had lied about or hidden. And it was fine because we I put buffers in there to protect us against anything. But still, you know, they're just things that you can't foresee unless you 100% verify. When you're dealing with 112 doors, especially during a pandemic, there's just so many things you have to do. It can be almost impossible to absolutely vet 100%. So um, I would just say that, you know, you want to be very mindful mindful of who you're dealing with on the other side and make sure that you're putting things in place to protect you because there are challenges around every corner when you're dealing with um, value-add assets. Cool. Yeah. So what is your current focus on share something you're excited about now? Yeah, you know, we're really excited about scaling our business and me particularly scaling the business and watching the team grow um, while we help others realize their early retirement dreams. Our whole sort of mantra or vision, I guess, for the company is we want to help people retire early through multifamily real estate and by generating cash flow. And I love that because there are so many people that just don't realize that this vehicle can get you there and, and that you can get outside the stock market and still make returns. And it's been fun actually sharing stories with investors and learning from them as well and watching my team grow as we not knock out these assets together. That is, that's something that I'm really excited about to see where we are, you know, a few years from now. Cool. So any one advice that impacted you, Chris? Yeah, I would say don't let fear and challenges get in your way. And if you find yourself roadblocked by this gigantic firewall that's in front of you, be it, man, how the hell can I tackle, you know, a hundred unit property or where do I even get started? Or I have no money or whatever it may be. Just surround yourself with like-minded individuals, maybe that complement your, your strengths and weaknesses and partner up if you have to. And, you know, I would say that first thing is to just get out of your own way, figure out what your value proposition is and surround yourself with good people and you'll make deals happen. It's just don't don't try to do it all on your own. It's it's really, really difficult to do these things on your own. Cool. And so correct. Yep. Any one book that impacted your life and what way, Chris? Well, the, the number one book of all time that completely changed my life was How to Win Friends and Influence People. I would say that there's a whole plethora of books. If I, you don't mind, I'll just give you a few. Seven Habits, obviously, is a great book of, of highly effective people. TED Talks is a really good book. Good to Great and Built to Last are great business books and the truth about money. So I know I rattled those off, but I love that grouping of books because it's not just about multifamily. It's about life and business and money and uh, can really help you. Cool. Yeah. And how are you giving back to community? 
We partner with Feeding America as enterprise partners. And what that means basically is they put us on the national website pretty much indefinitely. And a book I wrote a while ago, not about real estate, just about my personal life growing up and overcoming adversity. We donate all the profits to charity and it's Feeding America as the selected partner that we we made. And we fed over 200,000 people through those donations. And we're very fortunate that Tony Robbins is also an enterprise partner and he matches every dollar that we donate. So it doubles our ability to make a difference in the world. And we really passionate about that. So that's what we do to give back as partner with Feeding America. Awesome. So how can listeners can connect with you, Chris? You can find me at uh, Sterling Rhino Capital, and that's our company. You can find me on YouTube, uh, Sterling Rhino Capital. I've got, I don't know, 40, 50 videos. We're on Facebook, Chris Roberts on LinkedIn, or Chris D. Roberts. Uh, either way, I think you can find me on there. And uh, and just reach out. I mean, we would love to help you. Um, we, we don't have mentor programs. We just love helping people. So we'd love to hear from you. Cool. And thank you, Chris. And thanks for deep diving into your recent acquisition and sharing your business plan. Yeah, thank you, Ram. I appreciate it, the opportunity. And uh, I hope your listeners have a great day. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message, info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.